This is Coda Radio, episode 114 for August 11th, 2014. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, hello. Hello. So, you know, I feel like I just talked to you recently. I know. This, you know... We've gotten our new closeness together, Chris, that... I feel like we've spent more time together than we normally have. I wonder why I have that odd feeling. I wonder what that is about. Uh, you know, I think maybe some people didn't know we did a sneaky episode last week. So if you are counting carefully, you will notice this is 114. This is 114, my friends, because 113 was a bonus episode we recorded last week. We had two episodes. I kind of feel kind of proud of that. I think it's great, and and I think that... Uh, you know, your recent switch to full-time OS 10 is oh, really... What? No, that's somebody else. That's one of our emailers. No, I think it's you. Let's see. Uh, not Chris Last. Mm. <laughs> we'll see about suspicious. that. Uh, so uh, because we had a little short gap, we're going to uh, we're gonna answer kind of a question we've gotten in different iterations over the years on this show that we've given a couple of different responses to. And so this week we thought, we will move this into sort of our hoopla section to sort of give the Coda Radio definitive answer on this topic. So when people are searching the catalog, they'll find this. Uh, we were planning to do TypeScript, but we kind of didn't really think ahead with the short time window between last week's episode, which was on Thursday. And then, of course, you have Friday and then boom, here we are right back on Coda Radio. But it actually works out pretty well because this is based on the emails we've been getting. And this is something we kind of need to address again. And uh, something also we can update with some new insights. We've also just got a lot of great feedback, too, to, to jump into, Mr. Dominic. So why don't we start with our first email from Sudair, I think is, I'm going to say how you say his name. Uh, he wants to know if a developer's time is truly worth maintaining his own infrastructure to support his product. So here's the long version of his question. He says, I'm looking for an automatic bug reporting solution for my Android applications. There are some popular solutions like Crashalytics and Instabug. One annoyance with commercial solutions is that they want you to do things in a certain way. They add their own little enhancements in between, which you might not need. I found another solution, Arca, A-C-R-A, which is a free and fully open source software and, commu- and community. Uh, has a great community with a web app and some good backends. Pretty much all languages are supported. So he wants to know, what's your view on hosting your own Git server, bug reporting solution, etc., etc., for your own project products? He's wondering if you end up spending too much time because maybe you don't have a team, too. This is a, maybe a bigger consideration. He says he also loves the show, although sometimes he feels like he's not getting enough. Well, then, sir, go make sure you get Lucky 113. So, Mr. Dominic, you've got a team now, so it's one thing right. to host your own systems in-house. But if you were to be, uh, if you were just working by yourself, do you worry about crossing that line and saying, okay, well, now I'm spending too much time on my infrastructure, not enough time on my code? Yeah, I mean, when I was solo act, it was all GitHub, right, and Bitbucket. Um, so he's trying to figure out where to how did how to identify that. How do you figure out what it is worth your time? Well, I your think if you're time? working alone and you're doing some sort of contracting or work for hire, 
you know, your bookkeeping, your sales, your actual product development, your marketing yourself. I mean, there's there's a lot. Um, and probably maintaining your source control servers is not something you probably want to be doing. Now, when you get to the point where someone else is maybe doing sales, someone else is maybe doing a little bit of marketing. Right, right. right. You can start to look at, well, you know, what the economics start to be a little different, right? Well, it's funny. Early on, there's actually, in my opinion, more incentive to go with the hosted solutions because a lot of times those are easier to share with new team members. You know, the I'm thinking Basecamps, right. Google Apps, uh, GitHub. It's it's almost easier when you don't maintain it yourself if if it's just a couple of people. And then all of a sudden you cross this invisible line where all of a sudden now, oh, it would, it's way, it would be way more cost-effective if we were self-hosted or we could do a so, lot more if we were self-hosted. Yeah, I mean, having said that, though, right, there's a difference between GitHub and Google Apps, certainly. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, Google Apps, you, you probably don't cross that cost-ineffective line until you're talking three digits of people. Um, self-hosting, I mean, you know, we're using GitLab on DigitalOcean, and that's working out fine. GitHub was getting a little too expensive. And, you know, I still don't know if GitHub in particular, and this is kind of neither here nor there, is super focused on individuals or companies. Mm. They put a lot of emphasis on the individual developer, which, you know, not, I, I don't feel this way, but I could see some people feeling like, well, I don't really want my team advertising themselves, right? Especially if you're in that contracting space. Hmm. Um, you know, for instance, individual accounts are part of the organization account, right? So if you ever share repos with, let's say, the customer, they would see the individual accounts of your team and therefore see their email addresses, things like that. Right. And that you get it. You, that's where I know. I'm sure you've dealt with this, Chris, when you've had customers who have these crazy non-compete kind of like mm-hmm. psychotically paranoid agreements they make you sign. <laughs> Yeah, well, and or sometimes they're like what's even more offensive is the, the boilerplate ones that are just like automatically extremely aggressive, right? And you know, it definitely makes sense, right? That I think as an individual, GitHub makes a lot of sense because in a way, your own code becomes your marketing. Mm-hmm. But I think for a company, GitHub gets a little weird quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, for a small company, it probably still makes a lot of sense because it it does your issue tracking and and a lot of your project management for you. But there is some value in hosting that yourself because then, I don't know what. Gosh, I almost I, feel like we're talking about YouTube. It's so weird. Like, yeah, from it, the content, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's like there's some, there are some advantages, especially when you're small, to host up on YouTube, right? They cover the bandwidth costs. Discoverability is much higher. But then as you get larger, there's a lot more advantages to actually driving that traffic to your website and embedding things like HTML5. That way you have more control over the end user experience and et cetera, et cetera, where it's like GitHub almost feels like the YouTube of code. <laughs> well, I could totally see a scenario... Um, you know, not at fingertip, obviously, but let's say you're at a company and you let someone go. You know, let's just say someone doesn't show up to work, and you've been using GitHub with your customers. Well, that person might then, you know, go ahead and email your customers GitHub, being like, "Listen, as an individual, I charge, you know, whatever." Oh, I don't know. Is that too paranoid? I know that's so. Having worked with other larger consulting development companies, that is how they think. They mm. get very, very paranoid. Like, I've actually worked with people where they actually destroy the Git history when they give their customer the code. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's because they don't want any of the, you know, 
Or my most common experience is that the customer doesn't even know to ask, and so then they never provide it. Well, you have to think about it, especially since a lot of these bigger companies I'm thinking about don't have a lot of U.S.-based development that isn't like smaller companies. So there's certainly a level of paranoia there. I don't know. I mean, I guess... I guess GitHub is a bad example, and we're off the rails because GitHub yeah. is definitely focusing on that individual developer, yeah. right? I think I think every college student should have a GitHub account for sure. Right, you should have some open source up there, and that should be your resume. Right, but beyond that, I do think from a you know from a corporate perspective, maybe the paranoia crap is not a problem for for small companies, but the cost is. I mean, the reality is GitHub gets very expensive very quickly. Mm-hmm. Having said that, if you have a team, your biggest expense is always going to be your team. So, I don't know. Chris, it's a, it's a good question. And I look at it like this. Uh, I think there. I think back to his core question for the time. It's like uh, that is only that that is such a hard question for somebody externally to answer because it's so based on your workload. What how much time you have to set aside and what your expertise level is, and that would influence how long something will take you. Uh, so setting up GitLab is not one of those things that's considerably difficult. No, it's like 45 minutes. Yeah, right? and and the thing that's nice is I look at it like this. GitHub is a great service and a great platform, and it's definitely a place to be. And especially if like you're looking for a job or like Mike said, you're in yeah. school. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I think if like something happened and I was a solo act again, I would probably just live in yeah. GitHub. I think that's pretty fair. There is one thing that sort of wiggles around in the back of my head is at the end of the day, the motivations of what my GitLab installation are, quote-unquote motivations, are to enable me to do exactly what I need. The motivations of GitHub are whatever makes GitHub more popular and whatever is good for GitHub. Well, so, so the motivation for us to move to GitLab was we have a lot of repos, and we want basically all of them to be private. Yeah. So money, money, was, money, money. Uh, less so than you think, but a lot of it's stupid stuff. Like you know, we, for instance, if we have one project, they probably have two or three repos at least. Yeah. So it's not like well, we have you know eighty customers. It's well, they asked us to write the script, and because we're psychotic, we put everything in source control. And since it's not part of the main app, we put it in its own repo and stuff like that. Like art and things like that, right? Like. Some you have code in, repos yeah, and I art mean, repos in, and in extreme cases, but there's like a lot of libraries. yeah. We've occasionally done that, but sometimes it's like they want to run a Unix server, server, and we had to write a bunch of Bash scripts. Oh, I see. So we just threw them in a separate yep. repo. That makes sense. Yeah, S- stuff like that you don't even think about in um, you know in GitLab and GitHub. GitLab, yeah, it's oh you hit the cap again. Hang on, you have to re up your credit card because you need to hit the. You know, you upgrade it, they want the stupid CVC off the card. Yeah. And if you, if you, if your name doesn't equal Michael Dominic, you don't have that, right? So then someone has to call me and I have to stop whatever I'm doing and re-enter the yeah. yeah. Get on the phone and take care of business. Yeah, it's, um, it's a little silly. All right, well, why don't we go to PT Dave? Because PT Dave delivered. I was hoping somebody would write in in response to what we had to say about Dart. He says, hey, Chris and Mike. Oh, and those chat room people too. On the last episode, Mike had mentioned Dart. And it seems like it's not getting used very much anymore. However, Chris is right. Hold on, everybody. You heard it here. That's right. That's right. Breaking news. Chris is right. Uh, The Dark community is doing quite well, PT Dave says. We've hit the 1.0 mark a few months back and have been going strong. I've been writing some web apps from server front end in it, from server and all the way up to the front end in Dart. And it makes life 
so much simpler. To be fair, the biggest problem with Dart is the packages. Polymer has been a huge pain as they advertise it a lot, but they change the requirements often. But this is to be expected. It's still early days. PT Dave. What do you think, Mike? Boom. PT Dave just schooled you on Dart right there. Yeah, so Chris is right. I better go buy that lottery ticket. (laughs) You know, know, pigs will be flying when I get out of my house to go back to work. It's going to be really Wow. I feel feel maybe like I'm a little sleepy, so I can't tell, but I feel like that might have been sarcasm. Was that sarcasm? No, okay. No, Chris, no. you're always right. I listened to all your shows for years, and of course, <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course what, what, what? Yes, okay. Um, yeah, okay. So Dart right. is doing things. There I mean, go. I there you go. Hey, you know what? Yeah. To Dart your each to Dart your own. There we go. Hey, uh, our next email is going to make me cry a little bit. And if any Linux Action Show producers are listening, I don't know, you guys. This is going to be a little rough. So you know what we need to do. We, before we start, before we get into our next email and maybe hear Mike have a cackling evil laugh, why don't we uh, stop and thank our first sponsor and crack open a cold one for DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERAUGUST. CODERAUGUST, when you go over to DigitalOcean.com, brand new product, uh, promo code for the brand new month, DigitalOcean is awesome. I've been using them now ever since Mike told me about them, and Mike's been using them for a long, long time. And now they've really taken off on our audience, too. And let me tell you why. It's simple cloud hosting. DigitalOcean is dedicated to offering the most easy and intuitive way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server. Well, I mean, most folks can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. Actually, I've now seen the record set at 21 seconds. It's unbelievable because it's really attributed to their amazing interface. And here's how, here's look at the pricing structure. It's so straightforward. Pricing plans start at just $5 a month. You pay $5 and you get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU and a terabyte of transfers. You know exactly what your cost is going to be going into that. And think about how how amazing that is. That's less than the cost of professional Dropbox. And you could make an own cloud instance up on a DigitalOcean droplet or BitTorrent Sync or Sync thing, right? This is one of the many things you could do. And when you use that promo code coder August, you're going to get the $10 credit. That means two months for free to play with anything. You want to try GitLab? Because they've got one-click deployment for GitLab. That's where Mike runs his GitLab, is out of DigitalOcean. And let me tell you something. That interface is so simple and so intuitive. I'm showing it to you on the video version right now. Power users can also replicate it on a much larger scale with DigitalOcean's straightforward API, which you're seeing a lot of great apps come out of. That's been pretty exciting, too. DigitalOcean made an early investment in SSDs, and some of the best and Really, and I don't mean I, mean, I mean this in like in in 14, 15 years that I've been working in the computer industry, some of the best of breed technology that we have ever seen. It starts with SSD drives. That gets you the high density and great IO. You really notice a difference. Your applications can really perform. And what you used to need an entire RAID array for can now be slammed into a tiny SSD drive. It's, that's a breakthrough right there. The Linux kernel and its capabilities to do virtualization via KVM are unbelievably great now. They are so far beyond anything we ever conceived of in the early 90s. It is remarkable. And DigitalOcean then said, okay, we've got these great technologies. We've got to make sure we have great hardware in some of the best data centers connected to the best data connections. And then they laid down this interface on top of it. They give you the one-click install, multiple Linux distributions to choose from, an HTML5 console, dual-factor authentication, DNS management, droplet backup, snapshots, transfers, private networking, all of it, DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Coder August when you check out. And a really big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. 
All right. I hope everybody cracked open that cold one because this next email, it cuts deep. It cuts so, so, so deep. So Texas Linux user writes in, although I think you might need to change that username. He says, uh, hello, uh, Chris and Mike. Just a couple of days ago, my Dell laptop running in Linux, Ubuntu 14.04 to be specific, died on me. When consulting my significant other about getting a new laptop, she pleaded to get something that she could use as well. Good, good, good. So we landed on a MacBook Pro since it runs all Apple apps she needs, plus it just got a spec boost. (laughs) My question is, since I'm a Linux guy, will my transition to a Mac be as shocking as some bloggers put it? it, it, It's as seamless as your transition from Coke to heroin, really. It's... It's not that bad. All all my workflow and knowledge of web development, I'm primarily a web dev, is on Linux. I know that there is no real package management system on the Mac, uh, but I don't see that as a major hindrance. I just don't want to have a bad taste for the Mac before I take a bite. Thanks yeah. for the great show, and keep on rocking every single week. Texas Linux user makes me so sad. You know, do you remember uh, Star Wars, the real second one, episode five? Yeah, sure, of course. You know, the Empire Strikes Back. Right, thank you. We're chilling on Dagobah. Do you remember the line about the dark side, Chris? Um, you must become one with the dark side, or which particular line? Once you start down the dark. Path. Ah, ah, ah. Yes, ah, yes. Ah, ah, ah. Damn it! Uh, all right. Well, um, so a couple of things jump out at me. Now, Texas Linux user, I happen to think that Linux does make a particularly great web development platform. And Elementary OS just released a beta of their next OS. And what's interesting about that is along with it, they released a step-by-step install guide so you can dual boot a MacBook Pro with Elementary OS and uh, Mac OS. So I'm just putting that out there. I'm just, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgy. Also, just one more little uh, piece of um, information for you to just, you know, digest upon. VMware Fusion is not like VMware on anybody else's platform. VMware oh, Fusion, good. yeah, it's something. It's something unique on the Mac. It's it's actually quite good, and it can run Ubuntu fourteen oh four amazing. So uh, are you are you suggesting that by being on Mac, it's actually better? Well, it's interesting in some ways because it does normalize out some hardware problems that you you have on the Mac if you're running Linux. So if you are on the Mac and you need to run Linux, you kind of have a better time under Fusion. But you don't get like Steam games as well as much. There is some OpenGL acceleration though, uh, like Compass is working. So what I would say is you could then, in, interestingly enough, if you're sharing this computer, right, you could have your development environment and all of your tools in this self-contained environment that wouldn't be mixed up with her stuff uh, and you could just go in there when you're working. You could obviously then take snapshots and backups of it. And then later on, if you got a different computer, you would just move it to that new computer and your work environment would go along right with you. And the, and, the, and Fusion is uh, – it just makes a standard VMDK file. There's a few differences between the other v- uh, VMware products, um, but you can easily – well, not easily, but it is possible to take a VMware Fusion virtual machine and make it run on Workstation or even convert it to work on VirtualBox. So uh, that might be a possibility. I don't know, uh, Mike, you've probably done the most uh, jumping between Linux and Mac for development. Um, I mean, I definitely moved between Linux and Mac for some of my work. And I, I personally, I'm the kind of person that does prefer the Linux workflow. Uh, you know, I think, you know, he dismisses the package manager. But for me, a lot of times I will be working on something esoteric and I just need a quick tool. And it's kind of really empowering to just fire off a quick command in a drop down terminal and immediately have that tool available to me. I, 
There's things like that about Linux and, of course, things like the fact that the every desktop environment has built-in SFTP mounting. So if I'm working on a website, you know, it, the I can just mount the web server I, directory sorry, in my final... I just final... vomited over myself with the nerd acronyms there. Oh, shit. Oh, God. You said commercial software. <laughs> okay, all right. So uh, what, should he, what should he be warned about when making the transition? What do you think? All right, so package manager. Just get homebrew. It's, it's fine. It's basically apt get... Brew? Not as Home, homebrew? Homebrew, yeah, and you're done. Homebrew. Yeah, yes. In fact, uh, this is one of the tools Rikai has used to pull down some open source tools on uh, on one of our production Macs. Now, a lot of folks don't like that terminal.app is case insensitive, meaning it doesn't give a shit about case. Uh, I love that. Wait, wait terminal app? Hold on. No. Terminal- it is case insensitive, yeah. Terminal on Mac is case insensitive. It doesn't no care. way, dude. No so, way. No right, way. No, 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 no. Let's, let's do it. Ready? Okay, so I'm I'm just popping open a terminal window, doing so, an LS. Like you're telling me I could CD into the downloads folder even though it's uppercase D and I'll still go in there if I do lowercase D? Perfect. I have my downloads folder Holy right crap. Done. Done. Holy crap. That is, that is ridiculous. Why do they do that? They do it because people like me can't type. I, I don't know how I never noticed that. I mean, I don't. You see, this is an example. I I do not like the command line environment on the Mac that much. It's the same. No, this stuff's in different places. It's in weird places. Okay, okay. Your your home your home directory is different. No, fine. that's that's fine. That yeah yeah that's. All right, how about the magic of the open command, which is a little crazy, but. Well, right? like, yeah. Why do I have to even use the open All command? Right, why can't I ready? just yeah? So so you like that downloads folder, don't you? There, Chris. Yeah. Let's go ahead and just open the directory. So, oh, 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 opened in finer. But wait, there's more. Oh, that's nice. Let, I, you can do that. You can do that in Linux with Nautilus. Well, yes, that's a simple example. Let's CD into downloads. Okay. Right? Okay. Let's Lower do an case. LS. Okay. Lowercase, baby. Yeah. <laughs> now, what's this? What's this? Uh, hmm. Okay, what are we looking at here? What do I got here? Let's look at some stuff here. I've seen Ubuntu 14.04 ISO. I have a screenshot here, but let's pretend like I don't know what that screenshot yeah, is. Yeah, sure. Being. It could be a video. It could be an image. You don't image. know. You don't know. Let's just go open screen. Oh, typing's hard. Let me just hit tab. Enter. And I actually have to spell open correctly. There's an enter. Oh, open. you know what? I just mounted a uh, DMG image doing that. That's kind of nice. Oh, I just opened a PNG in preview. Look at that. <laughs> uh, okay, but again, that's all that you just need. See, on Linux, it's just Nautilus to open the files. You would just use the image viewer command to open, you know, I mean. But, but you'd have to, yeah, right, so it's one command. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fine, fine. That's an interesting point. I, but see, then again, if you've been a Linux user for a long time, that some of that, like the case insensitivity, I rely on case sensitivity. Like, I expect case sensitivity when I lay out my file system. X, oh, oh, okay. XDG open. There you go. There oh, you go. There okay. you go. So, so now, now Zane is just showing off. Yeah, look at Zane with you, the you, knowledge. You can pipe. You can apparently you can pipe to your uh, copy and paste thing. That's that's a little too scary. Uh, Rikai points out iTerm two is a much more beardable terminal for uh, OS ten. But see, when you get a Mac, you immediately shave. <laughs> and get and get uh, black room sunglasses. <laughs> Yes, and then you drink craft beers that no one else has ever heard of. And I think maybe most people get uh, flannel, but not everybody. Well, well, well. I mean, Chris, you're there on fancy coffee. Did <laughs> yeah. I not hear talk of an AeroPress? Hey, can I tell you about something else? 
I've made it even fancier. Can just a real quick aside, and then we'll get to our other emails. But uh, uh, Texas Linux user, by the way, let us know how it goes. I'd be curious to know what drives you crazy. It's gonna go great. Are you kidding? Here's what I would tell him: use brew and install fish, and use use fish as as your uh, shell, and uh, get iTerm, and maybe VMware Fusion, and then you're you know you'll be fine. Here's what I tell him. Get your Mac, get an iPhone, download Instapaper, Overcast, and uh, Vesper. You'll be feeling right at home. Wow. It's spyware. Okay, so just really quickly on the coffee thing, and then then we'll move on, because I know not everybody cares. Have you heard of Bulletproof Coffee? No, but that sounds amazing. So it's um, it's a little weird. It uh, Okay, get ready for this. You, you, you make your coffee as fancy as you can, and then you put in a certain amount of coconut oil and... Salt-free, grass-fed beef butter into the coffee, and it, it makes. And then you have to mix it really, 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 really strong, uh, really well, and it makes it frothy. So the the butter is kind of like a creamer because it's 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 unsalted, it's non-sweet, and so it's sort of like adding milk creamer a little bit. And then you can get coconut oil MCT extracts where it doesn't really have any coconut oil flavor, and it creates essentially it makes your coffee into like a protein shake. Anyways, so there's there's your there's your hipster update. Disturbing as hell. And by the way, yeah. when when is that MacBook Air coming in? Or are you just up to the pro? Or are you are you trash canning it? So, uh, what are you talking about? Well, you know, actually, I did oh. I did hear that some Red Hat engineers got uh, Fedora working on the trash can Mac Pro. So that could be cool. That'd be an interesting little machine. Uh, I'm sorry. So it's okay if Red Hat does it. Well, sure. It's okay if anybody does it. Anybody, I'll take anybody that wants to. Anybody that wants to give it a shot. Uh, I see. For me, um, I think the MacBook is actually a pretty good laptop. We have one here at the studio. It's not a super current one, but we have one, um, and it's really well built. The, the problem I have with the MacBooks, and I continue to have with the MacBooks, is the price for what you're getting should have an Ethernet port, and I don't care if they have to make it. I want my legacy oh. ports. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. A lot of MacBook Pro users are media production people, and we're moving files that we need to we need to have transferred at line speed. And so, because they're gigs in size, right? Like this episode, uh, right. when we're done. Spend, five, spend 500 bucks, get a Thunderbolt drive, and you're done. Well, I mean, but, you know, in a, in a production environment, it's all over the network, right? You've got recording machines and editing machines and so on and so forth. It's just disappointing that for that price, you don't get an Ethernet port when they could do it. And it, what you end up having to do is burn out one of your Thunderbolt ports. So then you essentially get one Thunderbolt port, which means if you add a second display, you're done. Sorry. Uh, so there's that about it. And then the other thing that drives me crazy, really drives me crazy, is that after all of these damn years... And I can't figure out why Apple has not released any specs on that SMC controller. So we have no thermal management under any other operating system. So when you boot camp that thing, you're frying your MacBook. Or you, okay. if you run Linux, you're frying so, it. Okay, so regarding the controller, the question is the answer, right? <laughs> they do it so you screw up your computer when you do that. You think? But your th- yeah, your thing about Thunderbolt, you can daisy chain two Thunderbolt monitors together. Mm. Yeah, so that's bull. Actually, you, supposedly, I've never tried you can daisy chain up to six devices, including monitors, with no issue to one port. Huh. So, and I, so I was then I would suppose most Thunderbolt monitors and stuff probably come with like a second Thunderbolt port. Yeah, so like a, the these Thunderbolt display, I think has like two or three. Yeah, but that thing's like a thousand dollars for a display that hasn't been updated in like four years. Just like Coke, Mac is an expensive habit. Yeah, that's true. 
That's true. Uh, all right, so we've got uh, we've got to codify some of our philosophies about contract work, and that's on on the whole range from you know you go do a couple of hours on your own for somebody, or it's your full time gig. Uh, so before we go there, I want to thank our next sponsor, and then we'll that'll be our transition to our next topic, Linux Academy. In fact, go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's going to get you a nice discount. They'll take 20% off your monthly subscription. linuxacademy.com slash coders. So what is Linux Academy? Well, let's be real. It is your opportunity to improve yourself. There's very few things in our life that we actually have legitimate control over. We'll fool ourselves into thinking that we are masters of our destiny. But the reality is there's not really a lot we actually have control over. However, Intellectually bettering ourselves in a field that can make us more employable or co- charge more for contracts so we can land a different gig or check a box on that review or just be intellectually satisfying to yourself, that is something you can go do. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. They have step-by-step video courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides. And when you go somewhere in the course material where you need to do something on a production server, their courseware spins up a virtual server for you on the back end. You can run seven of any available plus Linux distributions that they have. They'll automatically adjust the courseware to match that distribution. So this is great if you're a Fedora guy and you need to check out something in the Debian world or vice versa. And they've got new coursewares on OpenStack with over 14 hours of video content for that. They've got live streams. You can go watch the playbacks or participate live and ask questions directly to the educators. AWS Certified SysOps Administrators Prep course has also really come together. It's looking great. They've got a bunch of other AWS courses as well. And, and this is a great example. They have a bunch of other scenario-based training. But the one that I feel like is really shows you what's so great about Linux Academy is some of their scenario-based training for AWS services. Because that when you go actually do that, you're on. Right, that can be an expensive thing that can you can go wrong for you, you can go wrong for your client. The pressure is on, and because Linux Academy is doing scenarios where you do something that utilizes EC2, it utilizes S3, maybe it utilizes one of the Amazon Edge services or a, a series of Amazon AWS components working together. That gives you the perspective and insights to work with these tools. So when it comes time to actually go do the actual work that you're getting paid for, you'll feel like you've already done this before. That's an incredible value. And that's something you can get by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. They'll take 20% off your subscription. And you'll want that subscription because they're adding new stuff all the time. Great new courseware constantly over at linuxacademy.com slash coders. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a really big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic. So we got two emails that kind of go well together. So I'll start with the first one. Uh, It comes in from Alex, and Alex wanted to know about contract app development. He says, Chris and Mike, I've recently been approached with some contract work for mobile, but I have zero experience as a contractor. The two of you have been there. Would you give me some pointers on getting started as a contractor? What do I need to know? What should I avoid? How can I cover my ass? Yeah, don't. Don't? All right. Here, let me read the second piece, the second, because these both can kind of go together, and then we can tackle this topic. Uh, so uh, BMC Going wrote or Going or whatever wrote in onto the subreddit and said, "All right, uh, let's just assume that my company does it right, but because contractual commitments, we don't always get to do it well. How do you balance meeting dates for contractual commitments with actually taking time to make software well? I love my company, but I hate building to hard dates. We stuff items into a release schedule because we're so far underwater with deliverable items that we keep promising dates." It's absolutely the most frustrating thing in the world, and to me, we make a rubbish product out the door. I can't seem to get anyone at the company to understand 
we are doing ourselves a major disservice by not just eating the cost and doing things right and making it up in new sales because of it. I'm just wondering if this is something you face. So this, so he, here we have a BMC on the other end of the spectrum where he's got contracts that are mandating how he works and when he worked for the company he's working for. And then uh, we've got Alex who's going off on his own to do a few hours of mobile. Both like really complicated situations. Both involve uh, expectations, setting expectations correctly, communicating with teams and clients and it is one of the hardest things to get right when you're working for yourself even if it's just doing a one-off app um and i think obviously you could just simply dismiss all this and say well it's all about communication but it's actually more nuanced than that right mike yeah it's the problem is contracting is super weird because in a way you feel you know, you're, you're very independent, but in a weird way, you're less independent, right? Mm. Because, you know, if you work at a job, what is the worst thing that can happen? You can get fired. Get fired. But there are plenty of laws that make sure, you know, that you can't be abused and, you know, stuff like that. Like, you'll, you'll, you'll get another job kind of thing, right? Especially as a developer. Well, and like here in Washington, we have the free will employment, so you even are legally allowed to just get up and walk and say, I'm out, see ya, peace. Well, same in New Jersey, and and the reverse is true too, though, right? You could just say, get out. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the difference is that generally if you get fired, you, 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 know, you get paid, right? You don't generally get stiffed unless you did something like lie on your resume. You know, somehow defrauded the person who hired you, right? This is egregious. Um... In, you know, in most honest cases, you're guaranteed to get paid unless the company like files bankruptcy. As a contractor, that's almost never true, <laughs> right? I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I've been contracting for a number of years now, and yeah. even when I was just contracting alone, there are lots of sleazeball clients out there, like who will at the end of the project, be like, well, this is done, but you know, this isn't quite the right shade of blue, so here's half of what we agreed for the last payment. Right, and then it all of a sudden becomes their job to uh, look like they've saved a bunch of money on the project, and now all of a sudden it's you versus them because they want to look good to their management. Right, and, and, and you get into the situation where they're trying to nitpick, you know, anything. Like, oh, you didn't reply to this email within, you know, six hours or whatever. Like, I guess you're trading one kind of, security for another right i mean financial security you're probably better off as an employee yeah i don't know i uh i think it depends on um what you have found to if you can be self-employed what you have found to do and if you feel like that is the type of job that you can continue to adapt to changing uh conditions and find new ways to make money then you are in control of your destiny in that sense. Whereas if you work for someone, what you give up in control, you theoretically get up in sort of quote-unquote safety. But I, I, one of my hardest life lessons was when I, when I invested six years into a company, uh, and it was during the dot-com bust, and so they kept telling me over and over again, you know, we don't pay as much as you're worth. We know that. We won't pay as much as somewhere else down south might pay you. We know that. But in 25 years, we've never laid off a single person from our company. And right. you have a safe job when a lot of people out there are losing their jobs. And in a few years, you'll be vested, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, guess what? Next year, I got laid off. Well, so if you want to swap stories, 
a um, number of years ago, I was doing a contract. It was one of, the, I think, one of the very, very early iPad apps. Like, whenever the first iPad was the iOS, beginning of iOS 4. Yeah, probably. I think it was even the beta we were working with, too. <laughs> and it was one of these weird hourly things, which, you know, it was kind of, it was okay. It was good in a way, bad in another way. Um, and towards the end, now I didn't know it was the end, right? All of a sudden, the the client decided, told me, you know what, Mike, let's let's really up these hours. Um, you know, I know we're contracting with you for for twenty hours a week, but can we do like forty plus and just bill it? We'll pay it. Great, right? I mean, I was thrilled. Well, guess what happened as soon as the app was delivered? Let's see, uh, Mike. We think we need a tweak here, Mike. Uh, what we asked for isn't exactly this. What we were kind of envisioning was oh, e- even better. So I en- ended up invoicing them for I-, I won't give exact numbers, but a substantial amount of money, right? Because you know it ended up being a lot of overtime, and they kept signing the you know because they had their little not QuickBooks, but one of the older time tracking systems. Mm-hmm. I was like, great. I mean, they're like, you know, and they had a lot, and I should have known because they had lost the more senior contractor on the project. I didn't know why. Oh. So one day, one day he just wasn't there. Oh. And they threw the whole thing at me. And I, I was, I was thrilled, right? Yeah. Was, oh, yeah. Like, sweet opportunity. Um, so I, you know, I ended up invoicing them something like, it must have been like sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars $17,000. And I got paid a fraction of that. Because they had they paid another contractor oh. over in India to review the code and you know say it was terrible. Oh no! And their position was you will take. I think they actually ended up paying half. You'll take half, or we're going to take you. You know you're going to have to sue. That is, I mean, I, I could just see as somebody you know young starting out, right? Such a bad position to well, be and in. And here's the thing: so I was awful, stupid enough to question whether the code was good or not, so I just took the payment. I found out later, um, through some personal connections, that this is a common tactic, in particular that one of the investors in the sc- who invests in New York with these companies does. They take young contract developers, and they, they get other contractors just to review the code with the understanding that you will write a negative review. Yeah, you're looking for something. It's like uh, when you hire the security company that also sells the right. securing services. They come in looking for something. That way they can sell you on something. Well, that, it was weird because there was this whole beginning period when I was first contracting of learning. You know, because I was like super open and super friendly with any other developer I met. And then I started to realize there's a reason people hate contractors. And it's a game I would never play. I would never go on a project and say the code was bad, even if it was. Mm-hmm. That bit me in the ass a few times. Yeah, yeah. So then I started to understand, well, how, hey, hang on. How come even, you know, not even my projects, but even like other, you know, this kind of group of contractors I was always kind of working with. I ended up asking one of the, one of the older ones. They, I said, how come no matter what, you say the code is bad? Hmm. And he flat out told me, he said, because that means for two months we can build them and they won't challenge the invoices. Well, and the other thing, too, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly, because then the company that found the flaws is like, well, here's our price to fix them. Right, and and what are they going to do? They're either going to not pay the other contractor. Yeah. Or they're going to just, you know, eat the loss. And, you know, this is a practice I try not to do, but I have to say this is something that's, 
you know, it's almost like, imagine if you went to the doctor and then you went to a different doctor and he said, well, your other doctor has been poisoning you. <laughs> like, Yeah. And if you didn't know any better as that client, like if you, you know, like if you maybe were uh, just thinking you were doing um, your due diligence and somebody came back and said, oh yeah, this other guy's screwing you. You're going to believe them because that's what you hired them for. You're going to like, you know, you're going to take their word. It's hilarious. I mean, there was one case where I was doing a subcontracting deal for a bigger, um, you know, I say company, but again, I was a one man shop at the time. And, you know, I wrote a review. They asked me to review this code and I reviewed it. And they came back before they sent to their customers and said, Mike, don't you think you could refactor the whole code base? I mean, come on. You know. I mean, we're not saying you have to, but... Just take, you know, maybe a quick refactor. And I'll never forget what he said. Don't be afraid to say you need to rewrite the whole thing. Oh, man. The most corrupt tactic ever. But I've seen it literally every... as a, Especially as a contractor. Every time you see... I mean, and I'm sure this happens with employees. Every time an employee racism replaces an employee, what is the best way to avoid scrutiny? <laughs> like... I see it all the time. Jeez, mm, it, it, it's. I would say this is probably the. And I'm writing a, a post about this called "Empathy and Software Development." This is probably the worst trait of contracting, um, and, and you're less affected by it. Like, like fingertip isn't really affected by it now because we have more of a company, more of a team dynamic. But when you're a solo contractor, you kind of have to plan for the divorce because no matter who replaces you, it is always always in their interest to say what you did was wrong. And if you replace someone else and you don't do that, well, you've now inherited all of their problems and agreed that you can still do it on the budget you originally said. Right. So it's it's one of those, um, yeah, I don't know. I would say to Alex, you know, because Alex is our, is, our, is our emailer who's just starting, my, my take on this would be uh, don't worry about um, – don't worry about coming across as – I think sometimes people don't do all the contracts and don't establish a few boundaries up front because they're worried about killing the deal uh, by making it too official, too businessy, uh, you know, killing the momentum. But in reality, if a business has their crap together, they will respect that you have your crap together. And so it actually just builds more of a mutual trust. It's not going to kill the relationship. So, Alex, you know, have a contract in place that is com- that you're comfortable with. It doesn't have to be overly complicated, especially for something simple. And like Mike said, also remember you're planning for the divorce. You want to consider what life is going to be after you're done with the project and things like right, that like, and how that's going to work. You never want to take a payment structure that's super backloaded, right? Exactly. Because that, that opens basically the, you know, the – closer to delivery the payments are the more risk you are taking so if that's something that the customer needs well they should pay more right they should, it's like insurance they should pay more for you absorbing the risk mm-hmm. now our neck our bmc uh, uh he's the guy that's stuck in a situation where the company he's working for gets in these contracts and they overpromise, and then they have to cut corners and they don't deliver a very good product because somebody else at another layer is setting these timetables and he can't get people to change it uh, mike this one i'm not so optimistic about what do you mean well so he says uh, i love my company but i hate that we keep on building hard dates right, but this right. isn't something he has control over see this and he's tried to do a culture change but he says i can't seem to get anyone at the company to understand that we're doing ourselves a major disservice 
So the problem is uh, people who need to change probably aren't your your company. It's probably their customers, right? Um, you know, when you deal with folks, especially in more of the accounting, more of the business side of the world, they have this concept of commitments, and commitments always have a date, right? If you were to do the UML, commitment always has an absolute date. Right. You're going you're gonna to build this building? Give us the end date of the construction project. Right. And for them, a missed commitment is literally the worst thing in the world. But they also feel like, you know, you, you can't just say, you know, four months, right? Because that's not, that's too vague. It's a, I could definitely see how you might want to go with a more agile approach. What about, what about, what about a tool set that the clients, I mean, is it crazy to just open the books up and be like, all right, well, here's our progress tracker. Here's our bug tracker. Uh, here's our, you know, our Gantt chart, <laughs> whatever. Uh, is that crazy to, oh, oh, geez, we, we've lost our, oh, good. Is it crazy to open the books up and, and let the client see what the timetable is and let clients see the bug statuses and just give them all of the data? And that way, when you sit down, you both are having a conversation from the same point and not like one's trying to sound like they're really on top of everything and one has to play the really hard-lined budget role. Like you could just eliminate those personas just by saying, uh, okay, here, we're all working from the same data. Yeah, I've tried that. That doesn't work. Okay. So here's, what's hap- here's what happens, right? Uh, they play the hard budget role, and you have no ace of Trump to play. You have no nothing up your sleeve because everything's open. So get you. Well, it, again, but this depends on who your customer is, right? I mean, there's those scummy customers that are going to rob you. Ultimately, you have to figure out what is the goal. Do you, do you want to be delivering? You know, if you're unhappy at your company. Because you're probably, unless your company is like a 10-man company, one man's not going to initiate any change, right? Right. So you could walk, but you have to understand that it sounds like you're in the development services industry. The customers are usually not tech people. They don't get that things take time. Um, and, and frankly, not a lot of them have a tremendous amount of respect for tech people anyway. Mm. You know, I've heard everything from, we'll just go buy more Mountain Dew and Fritos, mm. right? Mm. So you're never going to you're never going to get away from what I would what I call calendar driven development. So at some point you either have to embrace it, which is what I'm currently trying, or you know just be unhappy, right? Yeah, you know, I have the situation where um Coda Radio goes live at noon, right? And the Linux Action Show goes live at 10 a.m. And there are some weeks where the show is just not where I wanted to have... I'm specifically thinking of, like, maybe I'm going to do a demo on last of something. And uh, this week actually went pretty well. But this week could be an example of, like, you know, I do a demo, and I'm only able to do about 70% of what I actually want to do. Now, people watching don't even know... But I know internally that I didn't hit my target of what I wanted to fully be able to demonstrate. Uh, and then when, you know, so what I have to do when, when 10 a.m., well, really, it's the night before. Right. I say, all right, well, this is what I'm cutting. This is what I'm focusing on. And then I, I quote, unquote, ship that. And there's times where, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the definition of deadline-driven uh, production. It is, by its very nature, everything is, is deadline-driven. And there is a way to embrace that in such that it actually creates 
a rhythm and a routine that supports the development, the creation, but it can also be something that you fight the entire time. And like Mike says, if you fight that, if you go up against that constantly, you're not going to have a good time. That is going to be unhappy. Because it is, I think, unfortunately, the nature of the business beast. And you can see why from their standpoint. You know, they need something tangible like that to plan around, to budget around. Like, they need dates. That's, that's just, that's just a, like an impedance mismatch between the creation of software and the, and the requirements of business. Um, yeah. There you go. Mike, is there anything else we want to touch on? Yeah, we, we need more Condoleezza Rice on the show. You think so, huh? Because uh, I do have, uh, I mean, we always have uh, Barry. We could. I, 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 I will. I will uh, hold, hold. Hold on, guys. Come on. I, the, uh, the, the, there's just. Uh, I, I. We could always. We always got that. Whoa, Barry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the matter with Barry? <laughs> it was his birthday, and uh, uh, yeah, they were asking tough questions about you know travesties going around the world. You know, uh, it would be a good. This is a good opportunity to say, hey, if you have any thoughts, any experience, any questions about TypeScript. Send them into the show. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click on the contact link. Choose Coda Radio from the drop-down. Send in your thoughts. You can also go to codaradio.reddit.com to leave your comments there or just email us directly, codaradio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. That was impressive. I did that with my lips. That was disturbing as hell. I'm sorry, Mr. Dominic. Is there anything else we want to cover on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Show? No, I would just say anyone looking for some calendar-based development, contact Fingertip Tech. <laughs> there you go. If you got a calendar and you want to pin a date on there for an app, give Mike a call. Of course, you could also follow Mike on Twitter. He is at Dumanuku, right? That's right. Dumanuku? Dumanuku? Something. Dominuku, I think. Something like that. Something. I'm Chris, Chris LAS, and people always think that's the airport. Like, why do you have the L.A.? Or Vegas, I can't remember. Why do you have why? What you like? Are you like a air travel buff? I'm like, no, it's Linux. I, I, Twitter is old. I, I'm old. Get get off my case, people. Hey, look, we'd love to have you join old. us live. Go over jblive.tv Mondays noon at, uh, Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Join us live. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.